Um, today's a, a story that you've all heard many times, and it's about uh, the story of Peter catching the fish uh, in the deep. And uh, there's lots of nice aspects to this story that uh, we've meditated on many, many times. The, f the first one is kind of the illogical nature of Christ's comment, right? What he said didn't make any sense. He said, go to the deep and catch fish. And as you all know, they didn't have rods and reels back then. They had nets. So you kind of throw a net out and you kind of catch whatever you can see. So you can catch fish in like three or four feet, but you can't catch fish in 50 feet. There's, there's no fish. There's no way to catch anything like that. So what Christ told him to do didn't make any sense. Uh, and yet Peter, in his humility, accepted it, and he just went and did it anyway, even though it came from a carpenter. Um, so he's, he's a fisherman. He's been a fisherman his whole life, Peter. And then this carpenter says something that doesn't make any sense, and yet Peter, in his humility, you know, accepts it. And when he does accept it, and then he does see the fish, if you notice, there's a slight difference, big difference, in the way Peter refers to Christ, because in the beginning he said to him, he called him, Rabbi, I have toiled all night. And then at the end of it, he says, Lord, depart from my boat, for I am a sinful man. So Jesus kind of got a promotion. He went from Rabbi to Lord, right, after, after this miracle, which, which just goes to show us that really how Christ becomes a part of our life is through experience. It isn't really through... Um, theoretical knowledge, reading, it's, it's us finding him in our lives, and that's how um, he gets promoted, if you will. Um, and so, but I, the last thing I want to, the, the main thing I want to talk about is that Peter, um, that Jesus asked Peter for a favor. He asked him to use his boat, and Jesus didn't have a boat, and so Peter gave Jesus his boat to use. And the first thing you have to stop there and just ask why did Christ, the Lord, ask something from a human being? I mean, did he really need it? Could he have come up with some other way and just some boat showed up or maybe makes a boat appear? Or who knows? There's a million different ways Jesus could have gotten a boat. But he asked for something from a person. And so the question is, why does God ask us for things? It reminds me of a time when Jesus asked this Samaritan woman for some water. And why did he ask her for water? Did he ever get water? He never got the water. Did he need the water? Didn't need the water. It was ultimately his way of giving her living water. So he asked her for something with the sole intention of giving and not taking. He asked Jonah to go and preach to the Ninevites. Did he need Jonah? I mean, if you're God and you want a little town to repent... How many different ways could you make a town repent? Right? You could throw like fire from the sky. You could make like loud thunder and sounds. There's like lots of creative ways if you're God to come up with a way to make this town repent. You don't need Jonah to do it. But yet he included Jonah. And there's lots of little stories like this. Why didn't God ask um, Samson to cut his hair? Well, ultimately, it was a vow because he wanted to give Samson humans, superhuman strength. Why did he ask Elijah to ask the, the widow for her last bit of flour and oil so that she would give it to Elijah and then she would starve to death? Because he wanted to fill that widow's house with flour and oil. Why did Jesus ask for the five loaves and two fish? He took some kid's lunch. Why would you do that? Right? Unless your intent was to 
feed a lot more people with the kids' lunch? And why did he ask the disciples to help him roll away the stone when he's about to raise Lazarus? Right? I mean, you don't think he could have rolled away the stone himself by just, you know, moving his hand or something like that. But instead, he says, hey, can you guys help me out? I need you to help push this stone away so that I can raise someone from the dead. So let's go back. Why did Jesus ask Peter for his boat to give a sermon? Has, has Jesus given sermons not on boats before? Sure. He gives lots of sermons just standing there. But this time, he really, really just wanted to use Peter's boat to give a sermon. Why is that? Because he wanted to fill it with fish. And so he asked Peter for something because he wanted to fill him. And so there was something that Jesus could not do. He didn't have this boat. And Peter did something for him that Christ didn't have. He gave him this boat. And so Jesus was providing a, uh, Peter was providing a service for Jesus. And so we call Peter a servant. He's serving Christ. And many of us in this room are servant. Abun is a servant. There's lots of servants in the church. And he was a servant just like all of us. Did Jesus need the boat? I mean, first of all, he could have gave the sermon from land like he had many other times. But in fact, later in life, later in the story of Christ, Jesus in particular shows Peter that he really didn't need the boat. Can anyone think of me? When? Because he walked on water. And so he wanted to kind of bring it back full circle. He said, remember that boat I asked you to borrow? I actually really didn't need the boat. And so the first lesson we all learn when we serve God is he doesn't need us. He didn't need Jonah. He didn't need them to help him roll away the stone. He didn't need the boat from Peter. God doesn't need our service. And I, I read this wonderful quote. It says, God doesn't need you, never has, never will, for anything ever. And so who needs whom? Who serves whom? When I stand there and I think, oh, I'm going to give some of my money to the church because the church needs it. I need to help the church out with my talents, the talents God gave me. Who needs to, who needs to give? Who needs to serve? And in the end, it's not really ours. It's a gift from above anyway. Nothing we have to give is ours. The boat that Peter had was a gift from God anyway. And so when, when Christ asks for something back, he's asked, just asking for the stuff that he gave him. I remember my dad, when I was little, he would hand me two cookies, and I never understood why he did this, but now I kind of do. He'd hand me two cookies, like at once, just hand me two cookies and say, can I have one? And I'd be like, fine. You know, you're, real, it's, you're a real heel if you can't give your dad a cookie back after he handed you two. But then I realize, isn't this what God does to us? He just gives us two things, and he says, can I have one back? In fact, he gives us ten things, and he says, can I have one back? And you're like, that's mine. I'm not giving it back to you. And the final thing is we have to observe the difference in the magnitude of the transaction. Peter offered his boat for ten minutes, and what was the return? A boat full of fish. It's a completely unfair transaction. A kid offers his lunch, What's, what does he get back? 5,000 people, 5,000 men are fed. Samson says, I won't cut my hair, and what does he get back? Superhuman strength. So every time we enter into a transaction with God, it's never fair. It's always one-sided. 
it's always God gives way, way, way more than you did. Especially when you consider the thing that you gave was his anyway, that he gave you. The talent, the time, the energy, the money, the strength, the, the gifts, all those were given to you by God. And he's saying, hey, could I have a bit of that back? And then when you give some of it back, the transaction's never fair. It's always way more tilted towards God. But the most important aspect I want to talk about is this phrase, going out into the deep. In the spiritual life, there's no catch in the shallows. There's no catch on the, on the superficial part of Christian life. If our Christian life remains at the level of, yeah, I come to church every other week, I do the things, especially when my guilt gets to me, I fast the last two weeks of every fast, you know, I, I, I don't kill anybody, right? I do, I do the bare minimum. I stay in the shallows. The lesson today Christ is trying to tell us is there's no fish in the shallows. It's only in the deep. That's where we find him. And it's a metaphor of our spiritual lives. And we love to stay in the shallow. We love to stay superficial. We don't want to go there. We don't want to go to the deep part of Christ. And why does God want us to go to the deep? Why? Another parable. There's a wise man who built his house on the rock and a foolish man who built his house on the sand. Remember this story? And the rains came and the winds blew. And the man who built, the foolish man who built his house on the sand, the house collapsed. But the wise man who built his house on the rock and the, and the rock stood firm. And the house stood firm. Who's the rock? Christ. So Christ is telling us, build your house on me. So why does God want you to build his ha your house on him? Because you're all old enough to know now that the, the storms come and the winds blow, and hard things happen in life. And that's just, that's just going to happen. Christ said, in the world, you will have tribulation. We have all experienced it at one level or another. We all have really tough stuff happening in our life. The winds come, the storms come, the rain comes. And so Christ is saying, I want you to build it on me. Why? Because when it comes and you're, you're solid in me, you will stand. You won't collapse. And we have seen so many of our friends and relatives and loved ones and acquaintances collapse in the face of tribulation. And Christ ends it and says, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And if you're in me, then you'll overcome the world in me as well. And so God wants to give us. He doesn't want to take. He didn't want to take that kid's lunch. He wanted to give a lot more people food. He didn't want to take Peter's boat. He wanted to fill it with fish. That's the, that's the deal. That's the transaction God is trying to draw with us. You give me just a little, and I will give you far more than you expect. And so we have to do this. We have to move from the shallow to the depth. We have to move from being superficial to just kind of going, yeah, everything's great, yeah, everything's great, everything's nice, to opening ourselves up and letting Christ in and not pacify ourselves with, you know, I did go to church and, yeah, I mean, I did some stuff and I helped out at the, at the Christmas bazaar and, you know, I, I gave a slice of pizza to somebody once and, yeah, yeah, I do stuff. That's not what Christ is looking for. 
we must realize that Christianity is an adult religion for adults. It's not about kids. We do a lot of stuff for the kids, but that's not what this religion is for. It's for us. It's for depth. And we don't grow up out of the church. We don't become adult out of the church. Like, oh yeah, we, I did all the kids stuff, but now I'm an adult. No, the church is for you. And how do we get stuck at these lower levels, at these childlike levels? You know, sometimes we just attend services and not feel anything and not think anything and not pray anything. We fast very strictly, but not with our hearts. Or we tithe because the church needs it or the church is building something, so we're going to help out. So we stay very shallow. And why do we get stuck in the shallows? First answer, it's easier. It's way easier to be in the shallow. It feels better. I can do stuff. I can tell people I did stuff. I can post on Instagram that I helped out. You know, there's lots of good ways to feel good about yourself. And then there's very little struggle in the shallows. You know, in Arabic, there's a great expression. It rhymes in Arabic, but I'll have to translate it for you. Which means as you get closer, you're going to get tempted and challenged. Right? It's a great expression, and it's true. So sometimes people want to kind of stay away from God because it's like, you know what, I don't need the trials. I don't need the work. I don't, I'm just going to stay... I'm going to keep him over there, and I'm going to stay over here. And so the question is, how do I enter into this depth with Christ? Is it learning a lot of church history? Is it learning a lot of theology? Is it learning a lot of rituals, the Bible, the dogma, the hymns? Is that the depth with God? And the question is, the answer is, you know, one answer is, how much did St. Anthony know? You know, St. Anthony, our St. Anthony, was illiterate. So his depth with God wasn't through reading and through knowledge, it was life. And so sometimes we have to be careful because we can think to ourselves, depth is I get deep in the church. No. I get deep with Christ through the church. And there's a difference. My focus isn't the things. My focus has to be the person behind the things. Right? My focus isn't what is this, you know, saying this hymn, but saying this hymn to him who saved me, and to say it with him with love. And so it's important to realize we don't follow a system of rules and regulations. Our Christianity isn't measured by how well we do the stuff. That's not it at all. And in fact, that was the exact mistake of the Pharisees, wasn't it? And we can easily succumb to that mistake. Father Jacques Philippe has this great quote. He says, the law itself is good, but the trap is this. If we take obeying the law as a condition for salvation, we are saying salvation comes not from God's freely given love, but from our own deeds. The two thoughts are directly opposed to each other. So here's the issue. If I think me doing things saves me, if I go to heaven because I worked for it, I fasted, I came, I deserve this, then who saved me? I saved me. I saved me by my actions. That means I earned heaven. And if I earned heaven, that means I didn't get a free gift of salvation from Christ. I did this. I saved myself. And as soon as I think that I saved myself, because I went to church and I did all the stuff that no one, the other people didn't do, what does that immediately allow me to do? Judge everybody else who doesn't do all the things, who don't do all the things that I do. Right? So once I start thinking that I save me, I can easily judge you and say, you can do it too. Why aren't you saving you? 
right? And I can condemn and I can judge and I can attack other people because in my heart I think I did this. So in Matthew 25, Jesus offers to us this, I call it the list. <clears throat> and you all know this chapter, it's very famous. It's about the end of days and how Jesus will decide, how Jesus will decide who goes to heaven. He says, then the king will say to those on his right, the good people, come who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. And then he says, listen, for I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, you invited me in. I was naked, you clothed me. I was sick, you came to me. And I was in prison and you came to visit me. You all know this verse, right? But I notice, I want you to notice something very important what he said. He said, for you fed me, not because you fed me. Do you see the difference? Because if he had said, because you fed me and because you visited me and because you gave me to drink and because you clothed me, you're going to go to heaven, that means you earned it. You did those things. Those are the good things. I'm going to check them off. And then that means you get to go into heaven because you did those things. So what does that mean? We have a merit-based system of salvation where I do things, God says good things, and he says, those, those are good, you get to come in. So who, who got me into heaven? I got me into heaven. But he doesn't say that. He says, for you did these things. So the things, they're just signs. They're measures. Signs of what? Signs of something else that's going on inside. It's kind of like a fever. When you get a fever, doctors doesn't say, oh, wow, you got a fever. Doctor says, oh, wow, you got a virus, right? The virus is the issue. The fever is just a symptom. It's showing that there's something else going on inside. So it manifests as a virus. So when I see someone giving to the poor and helping those and visiting and going to those in prison and those who are going, those who are, and helping those in need, I don't say, he's doing good things, he's earning heaven, therefore God will send him to heaven. I think there's something going on inside that person. I don't know what it is, but that person's kind of got some crazy love thing going. And everyone he sees, he kind of just wants to love on that person. And you see, that's the thing. That's the thing we're going for. We need to enter what? Into the depth with Christ. We need to build our house on that rock. And when we do that, then we'll start to do all of those things that, that, that Jesus says in Matthew 25. So I want to let Christ in. I need him to come into my depth. And I want him to go deep into my life and me into his life. And I have to let him in with the express understanding that I'm broken, that I'm a broken sinner. And why do I think I'm a broken sinner? Because heaven can't be bought. Heaven can't be earned. Heaven isn't achieved through my deeds. Heaven is always a free gift. And so when Christ comes in and he doesn't see that you're a broken sinner, he can't help you. If you think you've earned it, if you think you deserve it, if you think you're righteous, then he just can't help you. Do you remember when he entered Simon's house, Simon the Pharisee's house, and there was that sinful woman who walked in? So, and it's that beautiful icon in the back corner of the church there, and I just love that icon because there's only three people in the icon, Jesus, 
Simon the Pharisee and that sinful woman. And so you have Christ and you have a Pharisee and this woman. And the Pharisee gets nothing and the woman gets everything. What's the difference? They're both in the same proximity to Christ. They're both in his living room. They're both surrounded. He's, they're both surrounding Christ. What's the difference? One is broken and one's arrogant. One thinks he's earning heaven because he fasts two days a week. And the other one thinks she doesn't deserve it. And so when I let Christ in with that stance, it's a very different entry. That's the, that's the entry of getting everything. And this story is common, right? Mary and Martha, right? Mary just wants to sit next to Jesus' feet and Martha. She's, uh, you know, she's running around. And sometimes we do a little bit of running around. And once in a crowd, a woman said, if I can only touch the hem of his garment. And then she did. And Jesus said, some power has left me. And Peter looked at him kind of mocking in typical Peter fashion and says, many people are touching you, Lord. Like, hello. And Jesus said, no, no, no. One person touched me really touched me, and I touched her. And so there can be lots of people around Jesus. There can be lots of people at the church. There can be lots of people around the clergy. There can be lots of people around communion. But yet one person takes something, and everyone else just is kind of there. The difference? Your stance. So what does it mean to be worthy of communion? Does it mean I fasted nine hours and didn't drink water? Does it mean I confessed within the last three, four weeks? Does it mean I showed up before a particular time in the liturgy? Is that what it means to be worthy of communion? Is anyone ever worthy of communion? Never. So how, does it, how, do, how are you worthy of communion? Because we ask that, make us already be worthy. What does it mean to be worthy? How can you be worthy other than what? Feeling unworthy. And that's the only, the only posture we can take when taking communion. The feeling of being unworthy is being worthy. And the worst thing you can think to yourself is, you know, because sometimes, sometimes people say, I, I was really bad this week, I'm not going to take communion. What a weird thing to say. I'm, I'm really sick this week, so I'm not going to go to the doctors. Odd, right? I'm really thirsty, I'm not going to go drink from the fountain of life. Odd, right? In fact, the worst thing you can say is what? Yeah, this week, I'm worthy. I'm ready for communion. I deserve this. Heaven help us when you walk into church and you think, yeah, this is the week I deserve communion. I've been good. I'm going to rock this. So when we let Christ in, it ends with us seeing him and us seeing ourselves because he's light. And so when the light comes into the room and you look at yourself, you go, oh man, I got a lot of stains. I have a lot of dirt. I got some work to do. And that's going to be the natural reaction we have when light comes in and hits us. All right, I'll read you, uh, well, not a final quote. Father Zacharias Zacharou says, God com God's commandments are beyond man's conception and power to fulfill. We are humbled from the moment we come in contact with them. So what's Father Zacharias talking about here? He's basically saying, sometimes, you know what, I, I don't feel like a sinner. 
Sometimes I don't feel broken. Sometimes I don't feel like that sinful woman. I feel like Simon. I feel like I'm pretty good. I feel like I'm doing all right. I actually feel worthy for communion. What happens when that's the situation? God helps us out a bit. He helps us to the point and he gets us to the point so that we realize how weak and broken we really are. And so that's where Father Zacharias's comment comes in. He says, God's commandments are beyond man's conception and power to fulfill. We are humbled from the moment we come in contact with them. So he's saying the commandments of God are very difficult. The commandments of God have the specific effect of crushing the arrogance of our darkened minds and hearts as to the clear, the clear the way for grace to dwell in us. This is the only way, as he himself, without me, you can do nothing. So what Father Zacharias is saying is that the commandments are so crushing that we see that we have nothing to offer. So let me ask you something. Why wasn't Peter's boat filled today when he came back? It was empty. He had nothing in it. Why did Christ let him go out and toil all night and catch nothing? Because you see, if Peter's boat was full, he wouldn't have let Christ in it. He said, I got a lot of fish, man. I got stuff to sell. I got money to make. I got to go to the market. I don't have time for you, God. I don't have time for you, Christ. And so sometimes God says, you know, you're going to go out and you're going to toil all night and you're going to catch nothing. And your boat's going to be empty and you're going to be really discouraged about it. But that's the only way I can fill your boat. And that's the only way you're going to realize how much I fill your boat. And sometimes we're so upset when material things don't go our way, when uh, we don't get a job or we don't get a particular business deal or something doesn't happen the way we want it. And sometimes God's saying, I'm going to leave your boat empty on purpose so that I can fill it. Because if you're full of fish in your boat, you're not really looking for me. You'd be like, you know what, Jesus, you can give the sermon from the side. I'm going to go to the market and I'm going to sell, make some money. May the Lord give us this grace to see that depth is the only way. And that when we stay at the shallows and we stay superficial and we stay in a place where there's no risk and there's no openness, that Christ can come in and fill our boats. And glory be to God forever. Amen.